After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus and David Silver doing our Mind Rolling podcast. And here we are again, David. And uh, just before we got on air, David was complaining about the uh, comic book character Hindu uh, uh, visuals that, uh, amongst many other, he actually derided every possible religious and spiritual tradition uh, known on the earth. And uh, I just got to say it, Dave. I mean, I, I even said, this is good. Get through this before we actually get on air. And um, this is, by the way, is a complete lie. It's a setup. <laughs> I was saying how much I love traditional Indian um, design and, um, you know, so on. But no, I was having a bit of a rant. Uh, and it's good to get it out of you sometimes, but not to inflict it on another human being. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're, we're all even now and nice, and uh, we are so happy to be here, and we have to do some uh, initial uh, work, um, you, site management, and thank yous, I believe they are. Yeah, but we're, we're going to put the, th you mean thank yous for the Indiegogo thing, right? Right. I think yeah. we should be very upfront about that, because people... No, you know, I think we're going to, our, our entire audience will get angry, and we'll stop listening, so I think... We need to put it on the on the end, which makes its rational sense, and those who are being thanked would understand that as well. And if oh, not, well, let's do it on the end then. But well, that's we what we did last week. Oh, we did. Oh, I yeah. have such a poor memory. Eh? Uh, no, no, I do it. We're going to do that uh, at the end, and at the beginning, we're just going to say, keep using the Amazon mind rolling portal because it works and it helps us a lot. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh, Amazon, you know. Uh, check it out and go to our portal and bookmark the link. And when you That's want to the buy most whatever, important thing. Yeah, it is. Bookmark. And bookmark. so whenever you want to buy something that doesn't upset a local store that you like, um, uh, you know, uh, do it. Well, we have, uh, you know, recommendations, though, as well. And, but oh, it yeah. leads me to the, the other thing that was going on just before we got on air is we were having... We thought, let's play a song. We haven't played a song in a long time, so it'd be fun. And so we were trying to think of uh, what songs to play. I, and I'm going to try and be as honest as I, I can be. I'm not going to be honest at all because no, I No, you never are. I will lose friends. I'm not going to do it, so okay. you can do what you all right. want. All right. Well, okay. We went through. David and I had a, a, a little bit of a dialectic about Pete Townsend and a record that he made, a solo record. When? Early 70s, maybe? 
Yeah, it was like 73, and, uh, you know, I had a connection with it, so that's why. It's called Who Came First. And I never heard it before, so we had a thing around one track, which we were, uh, the, the words, although they were completely righteous, um, uh, they were um, too sort of hitting you on the head with the hammer kind of a thing, and um, so I had a little problem with that. Then I said, well, what about the dead? You know, they've been... Going, you know, their final shows, although without Jerry, yeah, the undead. Uh, yeah, uh, we should do a little tribute, and and then we got into a thing around that. <laughs> that didn't work out very well. I'll I'll just put it that way. And um, so, and, and I haven't told you, I'm going to play for you now. Oh, a song. Who by? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, and. Everybody out there, David does not know what song this is going to be. And I am just going for the fact that this is going to be the exact right song for us to play today. Okay, here it is. What do you think? Everybody, Howlin' Wolf, I asked her for water. She gave me gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great songs. What about I, that? I was lucky enough to see him perform. I counted the number of times I was so crazed about him. I saw him nine times in England, several times, and then in, in, in Boston. And he was the most, like, powerful, potent, 
scary performer you've ever seen. And as a person, I did meet him. He was a total sweetheart. Lovely man. You met Howlin' Wolf. Oh, come on. I interviewed him, yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. I've done everything. I'm one of those people. Done everything. Come on, test me out. Throw something. Let's see if I did it. Did but you let's, meet, let's, have you ever what? met a prime minister of England? No. A minister. I met the, I met the, um, um, I met him on the phone, the prime minister, but no, oh, I met just the, on dep- the phone. deputy prime minister, deputy. John Prescott, John Prescott, who was number two in England for wow. many years. I did have dinner with him and I had an interesting experience with him. Can I talk about it? Yeah. He was, he was not yet elected. It was just before the election when Blair was first running and John was his, his vice president, as it were, deputy prime minister. And we had dinner uh, with three other people and it came to my notice that he loved John Coltrane. And, um, uh, you know, it was his favorite thing. And this is a very working class ex-merchant seaman who worked his way up the Labour Party in England to become almost the prime minister. And he just was rhapsodizing about Coltrane and, and other uh, great, great jazz musicians. I was at that time a senior VP at a record company, and I had access to massive amounts of jazz records. So I put together 20 CDs of outstanding, 20 CDs, and wrote to John Prescott and said, I'm sending you these, because of what you said at dinner, I'm sending you these CDs because they're beautiful and you'll love them. And a day later, I got a letter from him. This is not emails, letters. It was kind of delivered. And he said, I love that list, but I can't accept anything. I can't accept anything from anyone. It's illegal in England. And uh, I just don't want to break, I don't want that to be something that people talk about that I accepted gifts. So I can't take it. And I'm so sorry. I'd love to have them. So he was an honest politician. He was the only one. (laughs) (laughs) You found one. I knew one too. (laughs) Maybe two or three on the planet. Really? Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, Dave, I don't know, uh, what, uh, we're talking about rock and roll. And of course this wonderful thing for people that happened with the dead recently, uh, last weekend and the weekend before, uh, I have a couple of music books that I thought would be great for people to, uh, if they were into it. And one of them, uh, in particular I've heard is an excellent book by Richard Goldstein. Do you know Richard? God, I seem to, I thought he was a rock cricket critic. Yeah, he probably is because this is another little piece of my heart. My life of rockin' revolution in the 60s. He was the first rock critic from the mid-60s. Exactly. Um, It, it, you know, finds him getting stoned with Brian Wilson. By the way, the Brian Wilson film, everybody, go see it. See it. Love and Mercy, great film. Uh, Visiting the Dead's Haight-Ashbury Homer, witnessing a drunken, very angry Jim Morrison trying to record with the doors. So this is a, this would be a fantastic, fun summer reading book midsummer where we're at right now so uh and other than that i have to say that leonard has a fantastic i call him leonard we don't even use his last name anymore (laughs) okay can't forget a souvenir of the grand tour and uh he puts together a uh, on his tour it 10 of these songs were recorded in sound checks where they were able to test new tunes. So that must be really something. I haven't gotten this. I'm, I'm waiting for it uh, as a present. Um, and then, of course, since we're talking about The Grateful Dead, there's a, a wonderful new book, apparently, 
Um, it's called So Many Roads. It's a new book by David Brown, who's also a contributor to the Rolling Stones, uh, to Rolling Stone magazine, rather. Um, each chapter zooms in on one day in dead history. Uh, eh, that's cool. From an early gig at Warlocks to Jerry's diabetic coma in 86. So there's some fun things around rock and roll. Yeah, just by the way, Peter Simon did a book about the dead, traveled with them for a year, and did a marvelous photographic book, which you can find. I've, I've forgotten the name of it. It's a while ago. But Peter's a great photographer and a friend, and he did one of the biggest deadheads in America. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And you had something? Yeah, I do. I mean, I hate to bring it up, but it's Peter Townsend, your favorite artist. But um, I want to bring it up because there's a new CD that you can get on Amazon called The Very Best of Pete Townsend. It's called Truancy. Truancy. Now, this is Pete Townsend, not The Who. It's acoustic, mainly. And uh, it's not Roger Daltrey. It's Pete's much less bombastic voice, actually. I'm not putting Roger down, but I like the way... So anyway, it's called Truancy. However, if you really want the pure thing, get the album Who, Who Came First. Quite a few of the tracks on Truancy are from Who Came First, uh, which was Pete's first solo album, and I reviewed it for Rolling Stone myself. I never wrote for Rolling Stone, but I wrote this one review, and it was the first one-page review ever, because Jan Winner liked it. And I like it because it's a very spiritual record, and it's, a, it's all about the Meher Baba, actually. Uh, that's Who Came First, but Truancy. And another CD I want to recommend to you is by R.L. Burnside, uh, it's an album called Too Bad Jim. Too Bad Jim, R.L. Burnside. Uh, if you go to Amazon, you'll find 15 or 20 R.L. Burnside albums. He was a great blues player who survived into the 90s, I guess. And um, uh, I saw him perform a couple of times. He was fantastic. R.L. Burnside. Mm, yes, uh, yes, yes. And then great. a book or two. One I recommend is something called 12 Steps to Compassion uh, to a Compassionate Life, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life by Karen Armstrong. Karen Armstrong has written books about the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, uh, writes those kind of books and writes theological books, but they're very rich. And uh, I'm sure that you'll enjoy this book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. It's on Amazon. That's it for me. Okay, that's a good uh, lead, though, to some of the things we wanted to talk about today. Do you want to lead off with that uh, quote? That might be nice. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I carry this little quote around with me uh, because I think I needed to know this big time. I found it about 20 years ago. And the quote is, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I'm going to repeat that for those of you driving. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. In other words, the judgments that we make uh, summarily all the time about people, not just about the way they look or the way they speak, but actual judgments about them saying they're bad or I don't like them or I wish they wouldn't be like that or they've got a, a bitch face or some such nonsense. Uh, this quote, which most people believe was uh, written by Philo of Alexandria, uh, literally you know, thousands of years ago, really? he was a Jewish mystic who lived in Greece, a Greek Jewish mystic. Philo of Alexandria, but some people say Plato wrote it, and um, uh, I think somebody's called Fred Shapiro <laughs> says he wrote it too, which I think is not true. That was just on the website about it. Anyway, I, I've always loved this and sort of cherish it. Simple, 
helps me helps us understand that everybody is fighting an inner battle and you've got to understand they want to be happy too and uh, all of that mm-hmm. so on facebook a couple of weeks ago somebody did one of those like little images you know and put in photoshop or something words on it be kind for everyone else everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle without a, without a, attributing the quote which is fine and within an hour someone wrote and said oh that's just such crap and it, it, you know, sometimes on Facebook you're looking at it and you go, oh, what is that? That's how, how can anybody say that even? And I can't quote her exactly, but it was a woman. And she said, it's such, I, there are so many assholes in the world. I'm not going to be deciding whether they're fighting a hard battle or not. I'm just not going to lay down like that. It's crap. Not true. Don't believe this. Don't do it. So there you go. You know, the dialectic is on with me in my head my heart looking at this i didn't respond because i don't respond to facebook stuff and start getting into some long thread of 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 poisonous words um and she was speaking her truth in other words she felt no this is not strong enough there are people out there who are real shitheads and i'm not just gonna sit there oh well you're fighting a great battle so i'm gonna be nice to you my response to it is actually from his holiness the dalai lama in his quote from today, July 16th, in his book, The Path to Tranquility, which I often quote, and this is today. We're doing this on July 16th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right and this is his quote, and this is my response to the woman and about the rightness of the quote. He says, when a problem first arises, try to remain humble, maintain a sincere attitude, sincere attitude, and be concerned that the outcome is fair. Of course, others may try to take advantage of you, And if your remaining detached only encourages unjust aggression, if you're, I'm reading this badly, let me read that again. And if your remaining detached only encourages unjust aggression, adopt a strong stand. This, however, should be done with compassion. And if it is necessary to express your views and take strong countermeasures, do so without anger or ill intent. And as usual, that's really the answer to this woman's complaint. Yes, there are people out there who can hurt you. And His Holiness is not saying, okay, well, you know, just submit. No, if there's an injustice going on involving you or someone else, you have to take a strong stand. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and understand why this person is acting this way. Yeah. That's my whole rap. Yeah, no, I think that's a terrific antidote to what this uh, woman said. And, uh, And it is true, you cannot walk around, I'm going to treat everyone kind because that's how the universe works and I want to be a part of that. It has to come from a way deeper place. Uh, and and this uh, connects with uh, 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 something that I picked up some time ago and uh, it's from our one of our bestie teachers, <laughs> Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. I don't know how much David and I quote. Maybe just a little less than the Dalai Lama, huh? Or Ramdas or something. Close. And, yeah, close. And this is really this really could go the same way in terms of the kind of thing that this woman said on Facebook. Because it could be like these are just easy words to say, and who could possibly live like that? This the so it's how to be a bodhisattva. Okay, this is Trumpa's words. 
it's uh, so it it may seem unattainable, he says, but you can start right now as bodhisattva in training. And a bodhisattva, David, give us the definition of a bodhisattva. Well, you know, okay, you reach enlightenment, but Buddha said that that's an individual enlightenment is not enlightenment. You must uh, pray for the enlightenment of all sentient beings. And a bodhisattva will dedicate her or his life to that. Yes, they will not, they will continue to incarnate as long as there is suffering in any being to help alleviate that suffering. So a bodhisattva is a completely has uh, removed, is empty of self. So, but we can be practicing in training bodhisattvas. So it just needs aspiration. And this, just think of, this is how he started, and this is what I meant by simple words. Many uh, Mahayana Buddhist scriptures speak of inviting all sentient beings as our guests. This is how it starts. Think of everyone as your guest. When we invite a guest, guest, we have a sense of the importance of that relationship. Guests are usually fed specially cooked food and receive extra hospitality, right? The life of a bodhisattva is relating with all sentient beings as guests. The bodhisattva invites everyone as a guest, constantly offering a feast. So this may seem, right, like very simplistic imagery or um, illusions, concepts, and yet, when you really think about what he's trying to say here, everyone can relate to somebody inviting someone, a guest coming over and inviting him into your home and the way that you would treat them. Everybody can relate with that. And I think that's a, it's a powerful statement of how, uh, when you talk about in training, just talk about something real that you can put your hand on and you can touch. Inviting all sentient beings as our guests is the starting point of applying compassion. By viewing sentient beings as guests, the bodhisattva has a constant sense of the impermanence of the relationship because eventually all guests leave. How great is that? Amazing. Right? Yes. Yeah. Eventually, we all leave. So we view the time with our guests as precious. So bringing us more, of course, into the moment. There's a sense of the preciousness and the impermanence of the relationship at the same time. Our guest may be our husband, our wife, or our child. Everybody is the guest of everybody constantly. On a day-to-day level, all relationships for a bodhisattva are based on relating with guests. Compassion is a combination of loving kindness and generosity. It is a journey outward, a journey of communication. On one level, compassion is feeling friendly towards ourselves. On another level, it is experience, uh, experiencing a sense of richness that we can expand the warmth we feel toward ourselves to other sentient beings pretty well all wrapped up there in one little paragraph two paragraphs i would say yeah, i mean just 
So then, you know, you start to think, well, okay, how do we put this stuff into effect? Uh, and then, you know, that winds us back to practice and mindfulness and all of that kind of stuff, right? I mean, there, there is no way to put this in effect, even to have, take this view of seeing everyone as guests, treating them as guests, knowing the impermanence of the guest, um, turning back compassion onto yourself, all of these things, they really can't be... uh, The the in-training part has to include the the mindfulness and meditation aspect. I mean, there's no way that... Because the relationship we have to have with this, and that's where this lady who was on Facebook comes in, because um, it's easy to say this is all garbage. I mean, I'm not. There could the guests come over and they spill a glass of wine on my white dress. You know, come on. I'm not. I can't. You know that kind of a thing, which is kind of what she was saying, right? Yes. So to come at it where you're you're truly engendering that um, city. That power within yourself to be able to treat somebody in this manner and then start to see everybody in this manner takes uh, extreme training. training. Um, I do, uh, and, and in fact, um, would you like to hear some baby steps to get there? Baby need, steps to kindness? Need them, yeah. yeah. First of all, the the biggest thing for Trump was trusting. How about this? Um, uh, yeah, a Mahayana tantric Buddhist, right? Trump, a warrior. What's his most um, significant piece of advice? Trusting in the heart. Trust in the heart, and as you know, trust is my favorite word because, again, like a guest. Everybody can relate with trust because mm. you trust, you know, there's some good friends that you have that you would trust implicitly. You're, you would trust your, your partner, your child, your, your somebody, your workmate, whatever. There are people that you trust implicitly. So trust is uh, easy, easy to recognize. And, and second for him is the gap in which you experience the openness or Buddha nature. So the gap between all of the garbage that's going on in your mind, where suddenly you get a moment of clarity, that gap uh, is is what uh, is is the experience of that openness that needs to be engendered. And then, and the third is a sense of communication, sense of freedom to expand and to relate with your actions, whatever you are doing. And that seems, you know, that's how uh, be how to develop compassion. So. Those are three pretty plain and simple things as well. Um, is this interesting, Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's totally, you know, fundamental. Yeah. That's because it seems easy, as you say. It seems simple. But to actually do this requires practice. I don't just mean meditation practice, but practice that doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, yeah. So in this thing, by the way, this is from uh, our friends at Shambhala Sun, and who were actually... Uh, 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 close to because our uh, very very good friend Satsang 
sister and uh, she helps me. Uh, she's on the board of Love Serve Remembers, Mirabai Bush, who, by the way, she is coming on and doing podcasts. And we just did one. It went on Ram Dass's channel, uh, Ram Dass Here and Now uh, channel on MindPod Network. Uh, and it was with Danny Goldman, who just wrote a book with uh, His uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So, so um, she, she has a so there's a, a lovely relationship with with Shambhala's son. We we really love those people. Um, so in this, there's one one thing that caught my eye that I wanted to share, and it's it's from a woman named Judy Leaf. And and it's just here's the baby spe- baby steps to kindness, right? This takes it full circle to your uh, quote that you uh, read earlier. So the first thing, s- settle down. Again, another plain and simple uh, instruction. Uh, it just it's just a matter of the, so recognizing there's a here and then there and there's a connection. So the fir- how do we connect? Um, with being completely in the present. And that's to just slow down and let your mind settle enough that you're able to drop from the heights of conceptuality, the there, back into your body, a simple form in space, feeling present in your body as it is right where you are. This is a great, I don't think we've ever talked about this. It's a a great um, meditation, actually, um, and what you can do is just take a few breaths in and out of the middle of your chest, uh, just easy breaths in and out, and uh, and then once you've got a little bit of focus, okay, your mind isn't pulling you like crazy, just do that for a couple of minutes, and then absolutely feel yourself sitting on the ground if it's in a chair or sitting uh, on a yoga mat or on a pillow feel yourself actually sitting the whole weight of your body how it touches whatever part of the floor or or chair and just feel that and and just come back to that feeling and that is a tremendous way to settle down wherever you may be it could be in an office or it could be starting a, a, a meditation practice. So settle down, great first step. Be in the moment. Now when you're more solidly somewhere, you can let yourself be more clearly sometime. <laughs> when your thoughts drift from the past and the future, from memories and regrets and all that stuff, you, gent- you gently bring yourself into the present moment, which I kind of combined with taking a few, a few breaths, feeling your body and feeling it how it just settles in and then allowing what to be, allowing the presence, and you notice that you're thinking and chasing stuff. You just come back to feeling yourself sitting. So then drop escape routes. How about that? Wow. Okay, stay put in this particular place uh, and time just the way it is. So in other words, Shit, I didn't have a glass of water before I sat down. I really kind of got to get up and get a glass of water. Oh, I forgot to do that. Maybe I should cut off all escape routes in the mind, even the ones that go. I think I, oh, I got to think about this one thing because I got a job at work. It's all escape routes, routes from being in the present. So another great, that's number three. Number four is pay attention to space. Notice the quality of space within you and around you. 
pay attention to the boundaries of your physical body. So this is works perfectly with sitting and you know just sitting and focusing on on the feeling of sitting, and then uh, once you cut off your escape routes, then you just pay attention to the space around you and above you, and let yourself uh, not be confined necessarily to the feeling of the body touching the physical space. Pay attention to the mental, emotional space that accommodates the comings and goings of sensations, thoughts, moods, and emotional upheavals. Whatever arises on an outer and inner level, notice the space in which you and your perception rest. So that connects you with your with true consciousness. And then lastly, share the space. Explore what it is like to share this with who, whoever's there with you. Notice the power of accommodation, acceptance, and non, non-judging. And when you sense the arising of territoriality and fear, accommodate that too in greater spaciousness. How about that for five, uh, five little simple um, practices and, and ending with sharing that space? And of course, one can end it with loving kindness uh, as well. Uh, sending that vibration out to everybody. So, this is this isn't this is our little first cr- time that we've actually given some kind of uh, um, uh, actual practical instruction to to be able to access what somebody like Trungpa Rinpoche is is saying about uh, inviting all sentient beings as our guests which as this person who said that thing to you on Facebook, that sounds like a lot of baloney. Um, it is a lot of baloney uh, un- unless you really are inspired to want to live like that. And then if you are, then you, you then certain steps are necessary. Well, yeah, and it makes your own life easier to live because, you know, all of these other things that are distracting you and filling you with judge judgmental thought forms, you know, they hurt you more than the other people. I mean, you're directly accessing them in your consciousness, and therefore it's better not to. Andrew Weil says that um, on the initial breath, and I found that this works for me, it has for years. Uh, Andrew Weil, the uh, conscious medical advisor, um, he said, on your first breath in, do it through your nose and do four beats. So you breathe in through your nose four beats and then hold it for seven beats, hold your breath for seven beats, and then let out the breath for eight beats, which will mean that you'll make a noise like this. You have to do it through your mouth and it'll make a little, you know, like that. So four beats for the breath in, seven beats for the hold, and eight beats for letting out the breath through the mouth. And then I've found that this helps me find that space really quickly. Because you do it four times minimally, by the way. Don't just do it once. Do it at least four. And do it as many times as you want. But all these things are designed to, uh, by these ancient, you know, humans, to uh, settle us down, focus us, and stop us being obsessed with our own endless movie. that's just going on and on. A million, you know, it's sort of like something really horrendous, like um, uh, Hangover 927. If they made 927 versions of that of that movie, this is how bad it's, it is. The poison within your own mental space, mind. All this, uh, you know, mindfulness 
does teach you to um, eventually uh, fade them down. Maybe not eradicate them, but fade them out. That's why mindfulness is so popular amongst in our um, stressed reality that we live in, in 2015. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, b being a modern bodhisattva, it sounds like a, an ideal you could never reach. But that's not what the Buddhist teachers say. They say if you observe these uh, little practices, it, you can be this person who can live for the others and not give much of a damn about your own little neurotic twitches, you know. Little neurotic twitches. Uh, you know, this little thing, just like you were saying, you know, this, this comes into your mind, you know. Uh, you know, I need to label all my hard drives because I don't know which one is which and I'm doing it. And oh my goodness, that one doesn't seem to be about that. Oh my goodness, what should I do? I've got to take out that hard drive, put it back in. This is all happening while I'm doing Hatha Yoga. Simultaneous realities, and it's not multitasking. It's poisoning in this case because you're doing the yoga so you can clear her. So if you're allowing the bad thoughts, it's like doing yoga and, and, and listening to the news or something. <laughs> it's just like, stop it. You're listening to your own stupid thing. <laughs> you know, instead of hearing about, you know, from the right wing that Obama's the devil and from the left wing that, um, you know, that um, Donald Trump is the devil. And there it is on television. Okay, so you turn the TV off. Now what's in your head? Something about your own devils. <laughs> you know, mm. I'm a bad person because I did that. She's a bad person because she said it. She spoke like that to me. And by the way, she did not like my Facebook post. And she should have because it was about her. I, I'm never speaking. You know, nonsense. Just driveling streams, Joycean streams of consciousness. Nonsense that you're plagued with. I wonder if in earlier days without electricity and without any of this, let's just go back to Shakespeare's time. 1585 to, say, 1605. Were people, did, do you think people had the same kind of neurotic, you know, streams of consciousness? Or, I mean, is this an eternal aspect of humanity? Absolutely. It, yeah? Absolutely. That guy in, 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 uh, in the Elizabethan era was wandering around, and all he was doing was thinking about how, either probably how he could stay alive because of the uh, robbers that were on the road that he was going from one town to another, <laughs> Or how? Or what about eating? And where am I going to stay? And what about oh, my no. wife, my girlfriend? Yeah. What? Forsooth, this privy is filthy. Yeah. Forsooth, this privy is not good enough for my use. You know, and, uh, it's all but think same. about life before privies. I mean, before flushing toilets. I mean, I wouldn't have liked that. And in some incarnation, we experience that very directly. Yeah. <laughs> So you're right. But there was no kind of thinking. I just about experience it. When I go to India, I experience it all the time. Come on. Uh, but you're not used to it, so it makes it even more. I'm you know, used you're not to it now. Generally, you're more used to it than most people. But <laughs> when you go to India, you have to give up on certain certain basic things yeah, a that lot. you were so used to, like water. Yeah. <laughs> Clean water. <laughs> it's fairly basic. Hey, I want, I want to talk about uh, poison. Uh, you mentioned poison just a little bit ago. Uh -huh. uh, poison of the mind or something um, yeah. because I've had an encounter with it and um, I told you about it before we got on I thought I'd mention it here because it's yeah. gonna, it'll bring up something else that's really uh, wonderful actually um, I was walking in the woods with my friend the other day and my dogs and the puppy uh, 
just clambered around some it's not a puppy now it's she's just a couple of years but she's does weird things and she um obviously ran over a hornet's nest and the next thing i know they were biting her and she was had her butt on the on the uh, trail trying to get them off uh, you know rubbing it along and i'm like what's happening and then my friend is doing this wild dance as he's being completely bitten by these hornets and and then we had to go back through them because we had to get back to the car so it was like going through a gauntlet and all the dogs four dogs two people got completely bit up which i'm still dealing with today i mean i my uh, right eye was almost closed for two days a bit dramatic but it was pretty bad so oh, then yeah. yeah so i this hadn't happened to me since i went to camp or something um so and yeah you feel poisoned you know, you're like, everything blew up and itchy and it was horrible. And I'm telling this to David and he said, oh, did you see the um, the uh, blog uh, the article I put up on uh, MindPod Network and the uh, Daily Wisdom from Ramana Maharshi? I said, no. And then he told me to go there and, and he had put up this thing about him getting bitten by hornets. It stung. It was unbelievable. Uh, and, and, so here's one day I'm going to, re- it's very short. I'm going to read it, Dave. One day when Bhagavan was climbing the hill, he knocked against a hornet's nest and was attacked uh, and very badly stung on the leg and thigh. He felt remorse for having disturbed them. Asked why he met with such harsh treatment for what had happened accidentally, he replied as follows. When I was stung by hornets in revenge upon the leg until it was inflamed although it was by chance i stepped upon their nest constructed in a leafy bush what kind of mind is his if he does not at least repent for doing such a wrong i read this thing my whole heart sunk i i gotta tell you because (laughs) all i was thinking about they chased us for 10 minutes along this trail running okay full out running all right, because they kept stinging me in the back, and and my friend and the, and I'm and I see I didn't go there. I went. What? Why were they? Okay, we did. The dog did disturb their nest, but it seemed like beyond. I mean, angry. I mean, and of course this was personalizing something. And look at here's the the possibilities that we have as humans, right? To to of a being that is beyond duality and a a, 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 a completely accomplished being like Ramana Maharshi, mm-hmm. who the only thing he goes to is concerned for talk about compassion. We're talking about all this stuff. Here's somebody who actually lived it, and his concern went for for the these uh, sentient beings, right? right? And how they had been really, uh, what kind of mind is it that doesn't repent for destroying a home of of all these beings? And mine was, how the fuck did they come after me for 10 minutes and kept yeah. stinging my friend? And I, he was partially a little bit allergic. His whole face blew up uh, that night. Um, so... Uh, so this is again. This is a lesson, and then this is the potential—the potentiality of who we are deep down inside. 
and all of this stuff that we talk about and we talked a lot about kindness and compassion today um, and actuating it and what Trungpa said about treating people as a guest. You hear these these people, this is the potential of who we are. This isn't something, you know, again, our Facebook lady is poo-pooing that it can't, you can't be there. We can't, yes, we can, and they prove it to us that we can be in a generous place. We can be kind. We can be compassionate. We can treat everybody as guests. So, uh, and by the way, Go to MindPod Network and hit that daily wisdom. There are so many incredible articles that David is coming up with and Noah and other people. Um, not just the uh, the podcasts, which are great, of course. Uh, but uh, so this one I found uh, through David telling me about it. Uh, and uh, I just want to share that, Dave. Well, you know, the fact that you were bit it's very hard when you're bitten by something. Uh, you know, to just love it. But some people are in that place already. Obviously, Ramana Maharshi was. I, I think of a, the Buddhist talk uh, thing about the the great Tolku, and I've forgotten who it was, so forgive me. I'm sure a few of you out there will know who this is, who was attacked by um, uh, brigands, by robbers, and uh, beaten. And, you know, he used all his powers to sustain his life even though they beat him and was going to die and was letting go and saying okay i'm going to die i'm bleeding uh they've beaten my around the body they beat me on the head i'm disappearing and then he used his high buddhist powers to come back and live and when his students asked him, well, why did you do that? We know you want to live, but why? He said, oh, I wanted to go. I was happy about going. And then it struck me that the, the incarnations to come for these brigands for centuries, millennia to come, if they murder me, if I actually die from their attack, will be absolutely, unbelievably horrific. I can't let them kill me because I love them. And if I love them, I can't allow them to have these incarnations. And that, you know, it's again, it may sound like, whoa, that's really out there. But as Raghu says, there are people who attain this and they are our teachers. That's why we go to them is because they know this stuff. And, you know, Trungpa, when I sat in front of him, you know, um, he just exuded this stuff. And part of that was his heritage. Part of it was the alcohol known as sake. Um, <laughs> whatever gets you through the night, you know, uh, no one's going to argue with that fact because everybody saw him uh, drink this. And, um, he came into that space where he was able to teach us, even if that wasn't his way of life all the time, you know, I don't know. I didn't know him personally, but this qu question, I, I also wanted to thank, uh, uh, someone who wrote to us, um, called Sean Andrich. He tweeted us and said, I would love to hear your take on this article, How Kindness Became Our Forbidden Pleasure. And um, I'm not going to go into it because we don't really have time, but uh, what it is, he, he recommended an article from uh, Brain Pickings, which we've talked about before, and it's really very, very interesting website, to say the least. And it's just really about, it's an article by Maria Popova called How Kindness Became Our Forbidden Pleasure. People are leading secretly kind lives all the time, but without a language in which to express this or cultural support for it. Her thesis being that kindness has become kind of a thing that people are cynical about and go, eh, the world is fucked. 
I'm not. Kindness, I can't do that. And it's back to the woman on Facebook. I can't tolerate the assholes and I can't tolerate these lying politicians and blah, blah, blah. And I really hate Chris Christie and so forth. If you live your life like that, um, it only hurts yourself. It's that, that's simple, Trungpa is saying, in a way. If you want to progress and, and become more peaceful even, just more peaceful on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Uh, you know. uh, Dave? That's all I have to say about that. All right. Uh, I, I, I'm going to close this with... Um, I got a closer, okay? Because we're talking about kindness. We're talking about compassion. We talked about taking those uh, baby steps with, with the help of uh, Judy Leaf. And um, there, there's one other ingredient in that, for instance, whatever I thought about the, my mind did not gravitate with the bee incident to, I mean, I had a thought that their hive was uh, certainly compromised by the dog, um, but I was mostly concerned about the fact that I was getting bit to shit and, and then the resulting several days of discomfort. So um, then, so the, so then, the next potential thought and emotion is, after you read about Ramana Maharshi and his complete concern for the for, and repentment for disturbing the beehive, uh, is, I'm a shit. What the heck is wrong with me? I can't even, after all these decades of being involved in the teachings and and living with siddhas and. And I, I still am reacting in the most self-concerned, self-interested, selfish way. Okay. We have to have an antidote to that. And here it is. Uh, some people carrying long histories of a lack of self-worth. This is from Christina Feldman in the same, uh, same magazine, Shambhala Sun, Towards Themselves. Aware of the vast suffering in the world, they may feel it is self-indulgent to care for their own aching body, broken heart, or confused mind. Yet this too is suffering. Okay, My feeling shitty about the fact that I couldn't focus myself completely on, um, on caring for, this other, for these other beings. All right? This too is suffering. And genuine compassion makes no distinction between self and other. The Buddha once said that you could search the whole world and not find anyone more deserving of your love and compassion than yourself. Okay? That's yep. it. That's all that has to be said about that subject today. Um, do you agree? I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do agree. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, right. Now I am going to, uh, we're going to thank everyone again about our Indiegogo campaign, which was a, which was a wonderful success and the incredible support we got from so many people. And there were people who, uh, we said that we would thank directly and it's, you know, it's a lot of people. So we're taking a few podcasts, uh, so we don't, uh, uh, belabor it, but I, we do want to do this, uh, Evelyn Cash Santos, David Hamilton, Megan Archer, Melissa Sproul Singh, Michael Allen, Jeff Armstrong, Carol Onuma, Lauren Bennett, Jolie Amslert. These are all our guests, David. Yeah. Every one of these people is our MindPod guest. And, and they're like, 
They may have even started out being the guests. They're, they're family now. Lisa Globke, Michael Calderon, Indra Clavens, Zachary Hayes, Marcella Freider, Gregory Smith, Stelios Andrew, and Gagan Baba. He actually put his real name in there. Uh, but uh, he is known as Gagan Baba. Uh, Carl Baum, Grace Lockwood, Joe Faraci, Kitsy Stern. You know Kitsy. Hello, Kitsy Stern. Hello. Laurie Shaw, Ann Hollander, Angela Sisk, Jessica Easton, Dorothy Winter, Melissa Barringer, Daniel Mullen, Nathan Gotham, Reed A. Morrison, Kate Buxy, Brea Parker, a friend of mine, Jennifer Strukoff, Scott Von Held, another friend of mine from uh, Los Angeles, Dolly Camp, and Lily Frindell, also a friend of ours, Chad Bradford, Rose Caulfield, Ciara Murphy, Elliot Blair, Jennifer Prue, Cindy Smith, Shonda Foy's, Anthony Light, Michael Morey, Evan Looper, Irvine, Dan Irvine, Evan Looper, Irvine could be. See, I'm getting that messed up because of the pagination problem I had uh, with oh. my printer. Dan Lentine and Steph Kirkland and Sandra Armstrong and somebody that you know. By the way, if we're saying somebody's name and then we don't say we, we're not remembering that we know you or David isn't saying a word because he knows way more people than I do. It's I don't. Yeah, you do. I, I would argue with that. Yeah. Rada Baum. Yeah. Okay, a shout-out. Chris Potter, Pam Wiener. Um, hi, Pam. Pam hi, from Pam. Chicago. Uh, Michael Mori, Ronald Goldman. Old, Mike, old, old. Facebook posts a lot. Who, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ronnie's an old friend of mine. Gregory Gant, Justin Grantham, Julia DeVille, Char Friars, part of the Friar family, very close to. Mary Goza, Carol Gadd, Winnie Coe, Jennifer Potter, Per Lindstrom, Tanya Kuhn, Stuart Wiggins. And um, that's it for today. Okay. Can I thank people too? Uh, you turn your list in for approval. My friend <laughs> Jane, Jane Nerlinger Evans. I want to thank her. And she listens to the podcast. So Ooh, I would have gotten to Jane, you know. I would have All right. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that for the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's it, folks, for this week. And David and I will be joining you again next week. We're uh, happy to be here, happy to have your uh, engaged support. And that truly was proof to the pudding with the Indiegogo thing. Uh, but please go to mindpodnetwork.com and uh, continue that support and continue that engagement. David, see you right. next week. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.